Amen. What a great worship time. And now that we are in the presence of God, let's talk about his incredible redemptive plan. You know, here at Advent season, we're busy, we're running around, we're buying presents, we're, we're scouting out Christmas trees, we're taking the ones that are left over if you haven't gotten one already. And it's easy to forget what this is really all about. And sometimes, you know, we glimpse Jesus in this one snapshot in time, which is this baby in a manger, a stable in Bethlehem. And even though that's immensely important in the plan of God to save us from our sin, it's not all there is to Jesus. And so what I want to do during this series is open up our minds about the personhood of Christ, the vast, majestic realm over which He reigns. And so that we can come to the place that we can trust Him with our lives and with all of our stuff. And what we're going to learn today is we're going to learn that Jesus is a king. He's not becoming a king or will be a king. He is a king and he always has been a king. And we're going to revel in that truth this morning. And so I want you to know that he is welcoming you to his kingdom. He is saying, I love you. I want to save you. I want to carry your burdens. And so when you leave here, I want you to be deeply in love with Christ. And I want you to know that because he is so powerful and has such unbelievable authority, that he can handle your stuff. So take your Bibles if you wouldn't. We're going to start this morning in the book of John, chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. John 1, 1 through 5. And you can take that Bible in the seat back in front of you, and you can turn to page 886 if you'd like. Or you can just hop on that Ridgewood app, download it, click media, and you'll be right there with us. And as Laurie said, there's devotionals for you as well. John 1, 1 through 5. So this is a familiar passage to many of you, but for me it opens up this whole idea of aspects of Christ that we don't spend very much time talking about. And as we get ready to complete this series through the month of December, next week we're going to talk about the rebellion against the king. What happened? Why did Jesus have to come at all? And then on the 17th, the condescension of the king, that he came in such amazing, extreme humility in order to walk a road of suffering to the cross. What an amazing servant. And then on, on Christmas Eve day, we'll have two services in the morning. We're going to talk about a little bit about the kingdom in the way of that it's upside down. Jesus turned it in a way that nobody thought he would. And then during candlelight, the availability of the kingdom. So I'll make you a deal. You bring somebody to three or five o'clock and I'll give the gospel straight. Deal? Okay, you got to do your part now. And maybe I should probably do mine too. But this is going to be really exciting. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to start here in John and we're going to begin with this idea of the pre-existence of Jesus. Then we're going to move to the present ministry of Christ and then to the future reign of Christ. But we're going to start here in segment one and it's going to be the pre-existent reign of the king. And this is fascinating, it's exciting, and it's life-changing. So we begin in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So what does this passage tell us about the forever king? What does it tell us about Christ? It tells us that in John's wording, the best he could do to describe the fact that Jesus had always been is to tell us that he was in the beginning. And that means there was no starting place for Jesus Christ. He's always been and he always will be. And so to to think that somehow he started in Bethlehem would be crazy because he's been here forever. And that's the point I want to make to begin things this morning is that the king has always been. There was never a time ever that Jesus has not been. Now, I know that your kids are going to ask you that question, right? Well, when did Jesus start? Um, How does he have a son? You know, where is his mom? All that stuff. Here's the thing. Just hold on to the truth that Jesus has always been. Don't try to solve it. It's biblical truth, and it speaks volumes about who Jesus is. In verse 1, we see the wording here. In the beginning was the word. In verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. So John's enamored with this. He believes this. Now, when he uses this word was, it's used in the past tense. But it carries with it the idea of continuity, meaning that the person that Jesus was then is the same person that he is now and the same person that he will be forever. And even more, the following phrase, John uses the preposition with to suggest the idea of communion and it's communion with God, literally in the Greek, communion towards God. So not only was Jesus in the beginning, before time, as we know it, he was communing with God. But if we left it there, it could be dangerous. We might get a false view of Jesus because he was communing toward God. But then John quickly closes that gap with the words, the word was God. Jesus was God. So there's no doubt left. Jesus, the one we worship, the one that we celebrate at Christmas time, is every bit the essence of God. Now, unfortunately, some have mistranslated this passage. If a Jehovah Witness missionary knocks on your door, be nice to them. But they're going to tell you that this reads, the word was a God. But that's incorrect. It's an incorrect reading of the Greek, and it leads to polytheism. Another way this has been mistranslated is some say that Jesus is divine. That misses it, too, because that simply means that Jesus is taking on the attributes of God. No, what John is saying here is that Jesus is absolutely, in all essence, deity. He is God. So correctly understood, we have this amazing view of the Trinity where before we ever were before time as we know it existed you had the father the son and the holy spirit in perfect communion and this is the king that we serve so jesus has always been and then if we deal with that title that john has for him the word what does that mean 
we see that the king is the decisive message from God. So Jesus has a special role to play. Look at verse 1 again. And notice the title. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So why did John call Jesus the Word in the Greek logos? What is that all about? Well, it's about communication to humanity. Jesus is God's communication to us. So you know that in the Old Testament, we had prophets. And God could speak to prophets who would then relay the information to Israel. Or sometimes he spoke right to individuals. But in the New Testament, what John is saying is the actual revelation from God is Christ himself. Not just what he teaches, but who he is. The essence of himself. Now, John Piper explains this a little bit better than I can. Here's what he says about this truth. What God had to say to us was not only or mainly what Jesus said, but who Jesus was and what he did. His words clarified himself and his work, but his self and his work were the main truth God was revealing. I am the truth, Jesus said in John 14, 6. Jesus is God. He is God's word to us. And so you're asking yourself at times, what is God's will for me? Why am I here? I don't understand what God is like. Why is this happening to me? We can look and study, we can look at and study Jesus. Because Jesus is God's word to us. He is the exact representation of the Father. And so, everything we need to know about God, we can find out in Christ. He is the forever King. And so, if He is indeed all of these things, then you can trust your life to Him. You don't have to hold on. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to live in fear. And there are times when it's easy to live in fear because the world's gone crazy. But we have a King that has always been. He always will be. He is God and He is God's message to us. So that's the pre-existing Christ. Now let's move to segment two, because this is also really exciting. This is about the incarnational ministry and present reign of the king. He has been abiding for all of eternity. But he is still reigning now, and he's still ministering to us. And so his ministry hasn't ended. And what we find out when we, find, when we study Christ is that he has this new kingdom in mind for us. He offers a new and wonderful kingdom. And by the way, he's inviting you to be in this kingdom. He wants you to be in this kingdom with him. If you look down at verse 14 in chapter 1, you see this incredible truth that has caused awe over centuries of Christmas celebrations. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so what you had here is you had Israel waiting for Messiah, and then He came in the flesh. And this is the incarnation. This is the the melding of 
divinity and humanity, the 100% God, 100% human being, the God-man who came to save us from our sin. And Israel waited and waited and waited for this Messiah. This well-known passage in Isaiah helps us to understand what they were waiting for. For, us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Wow, look at that title. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is what Israel was waiting for all that time. And so Jesus finally arrived. So there, was, there was this huge celebration But soon, things turned sour. Because this wasn't the person that they thought they were getting. You know, the Pharisees had taught the Jews to live by the letter of the law. And that you could earn favor with the synagogue. They lived in terror of being thrust out of the synagogue by doing all of the right things. Jesus came along and said something completely different. He said, no, for me, it's not about that. It's about... The heart. It's about grabbing your devotion. It's about seizing every part of your heart and soul. And I'm not settling for anything else. Because he knew that if he settled for less, that we would take that road. And Jesus wants to give us all of himself because he is the best thing. And so, as he came... Israel began to wonder, is this really the Messiah? Why isn't he overthrowing, overthrowing the Romans? Why is, he, why is he so meek? What is this? And then the Jewish leaders were plotting behind his back because they were afraid of his power. And soon we find out as we look at his life that, that Israel was not ready for this kind of king. He was still the king. But Israel wasn't ready for him and he was rejected. And so what happened? He was rejected and he began to walk that road of suffering. And here's a king, a real king, the king of the universe, the king of the heavens, the king of all things in the Father's kingdom. And he's walking a road of suffering because he has been rejected, because he has been turned aside. But it's so wonderful that that was the Father's plan all along. And so, because Jesus went to the cross and because He took all of, his sin, all of our sins upon Himself and was crucified there, we can proclaim, as, as Paul does in Romans 10.13, everyone who will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. It came because Jesus incarnated Himself and walked the road of suffering. Something a king doesn't normally do. And that life on earth was all about serving. Amazing servanthood. He healed people all over Palestine. He ministered to the sinners. He was called a friend of sinners. We don't want that. He spent time with people that nobody else spent time with. He raised people from the dead. He spent time talking to children. He was amazing. This was a This was a sacrificial servant. And then, here's the really interesting thing. You you get this sacrificial servant, 
you know, picture him sitting by the Sea of Galilee and maybe a couple of kids are here, you know, and they're kind of jumping on him and hanging on him. And the disciples are going like, what are you doing with those kids? And he's going, I love these kids because these, this is the people I want in my kingdom. And guess what his kingdom is? His kingdom is everything. And then you look at Colossians and you see that in his present reign, not only is he ministering for us, he's our high priest, he's praying for us, he holds the universe together. Without Jesus, the universe would fly apart. There wouldn't be anything that we know without Christ, because he is the power of the universe. And we can never forget this. Our culture needs to hear this, that Jesus is a powerful king. And he's summoning people into his kingdom. And it's a wonderful kingdom, even if some don't take him up on that offer. And so you have this pre-existing king, the present king, and that moves us into the third segment, which is awe-inspiring. It's the future and victorious reign of the king. Jesus is reigning, but he will someday reign at an even greater degree. So what I want you to do is just page back in your Bibles to the book of Revelation. The last book of the Bible, page back to Revelation 19, verse 11, page 1040, if you're using that Bible from the seat back in front of you. Revelation 19, 11. And here we have this incredible picture of Jesus' future, of Jesus' powerful reign, of Jesus' the victor over evil, someone that we can completely trust, someone that we can give our life to. So we begin in verse 11, Revelation 19. And this is John writing again. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God, John's title for him. 14. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nation's And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe, on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the one you follow. How can we not live lives of gratitude when this kind of king has invited us in to his kingdom? You look at the wording here and... John looks at this from a completely different angle than we see in the Gospels with this suffering servant. Now he has this title. It's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, which means he will have victory over all kings of the earth. We don't have to fret about evil. We don't have to try to control and take matters into our own hands. Jesus will do that. He's already reigning in our hearts, but someday he'll have a full reign on the throne of David over all things. And then the first thing that sticks out, of course, is this idea of the white horse. And that's a sign of victory. So we see here on the white horse, 
Jesus winning victory over all of his enemies. And this should give us an incredible amount of encouragement this morning. He has been reigning since, the, since before the incarnation. Now he will rule forever. And what the white horse signifies is this. It's really rich imagery, and the people here would have gotten it. In Rome, when a general would come back from the battle, and he had won the battle, he would ride down the widest road in Rome, right down the middle, the Via Sacra. And people would line the sides of the road. And he would be on his white horse showing off all the plunder from his battles. People would be lauding him. And so John went right to this imagery and said, you see, this is what Jesus is going to do. He's going to come back on his white horse. He will have defeated all of his enemies. And then I think who gets to be the people that are cheering him on is you and me as followers of Christ. And so he is victorious. He is the victor. But he is also the judge. And this is something we don't talk about enough. He will righteously judge all things. If you look at the Greek word here for sword, it describes an unusual sword, a long sword like a spear. And with it, he will strike down evil. And then that phrasing, tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty, Grapes would be put in a wine press and they would be stomped on by slaves or workers and that juice would come out and Jesus is going to crush evil just like those grapes were crushed. And so again, this is our king. This is the one that we follow. This is the one that we can trust. And so all of this dramatic imagery, even the robe dipped in blood, it could be the blood of his enemies, it could be the blood of the saints, it could be his own blood. That whatever the case, it all means that he will come and he is going to judge rightly. Because he will strike down all things that are evil. And this is where we as Christians need to be really careful. Because I see believers getting all caught up on social media. And everybody's angry. And everybody has to have their two cents in. But listen, why don't we just worry about getting people saved? Because Jesus is taking care of the rest of it. There's, there's nobody getting away with anything. They've got to stand before Christ. I remember Wendy and I had this discussion with the detectives when we found out that our son had been killed and they came over to our house. And we looked right at them and said, Hey guys, I know you're really good at what you do, but we're not going to hound you because God will bring justice. These people will stand before God. Whatever happens. And with those words come an incredible amount of peace because we don't have to control everything. Jesus will judge rightly. He's the victor. And then, this is exciting, the king is reigning and will reign forever. There's not an end to his reign. There wasn't a beginning and there's not an end. Look at verse 12. This is a stunning phrase, a beautiful phrase, powerful phrase. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. So what does that mean? The plurality of crowns points to his character as the king of kings. His name's faithful and true, and the word of God are put alongside this unique phrase here. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. This probably means that ultimately... The character and name of Christ 
It's beyond the imagination of John even being led by the Holy Spirit. Christ is so magnificent, so powerful, so outside of our world that John can't even describe him properly. And so he's not going to try. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. And yet we've relegated him to Christian movies with British accents and blonde hair. Listen, this is the king of the universe. It's powerful. And you know, maybe we need to talk to the culture about this because maybe it's weird for them when we're always talking about following a baby. Maybe it's weird to submit to a baby. I don't think it's weird at all to submit to a king. But I wonder if sometimes we even believe that Jesus is a king. Because if we did, we'd be worshiping him all of the time and following him in every way. In Revelation 21, 5 through 7, we see Jesus reigning as the great king of heaven. And he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. That is grace. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God and he will be my son. Jesus has been given this kind of authority by the Father And so he is a king that is reigning. And then, remember when he was talking to Pilate? And Pilate said, well, you're not from here. Where is your kingdom? Here's what he said. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. And then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. There is no such thing as many roads to salvation. This is it. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Not Buddha's voice. Not Joseph Smith's voice. Not the Ekankar people's voice, whatever that voice is. It's Jesus. Period. Done. And so we have to be out proclaiming this. And so here's the question. Do you hear his voice? Are you one that has chosen to enter his kingdom? And are you going to fool around with the great king of the universe, the judge, the righteous Ruler, listen, He is calling you to salvation this morning. He is calling you to give everything to Him. And maybe you're one that's just saying, you know what, I don't really believe this, but thank you for trying. Well, maybe you could at least consider it. But I will give you one warning, that you will run into the King. You will. And you're going to have to answer to Him And then secondly, you might be saying, you know, I've been a Christian a long time. I've been hearing this a lot. I feel really burdened, but I really don't know how to get rid of these burdens. The Bible says, just lay them down and trust that Jesus can handle this. If he indeed is the ruler of this heavenly kingdom, then he can take all of the things that are burdening us. And then maybe 
you're saying to yourself, I, you know, I really would like to be in that kingdom, but I don't know how. The answer to that is very simple. If you believe this, just tell him, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that you did walk that road of suffering. I believe my sin put you on that cross. And I want to be in your kingdom. I want to be saved. And the Bible says in this majestic, mysterious moment, you are justified, made legally right with God. That's a beautiful thing. And then we will reign with Christ in this kingdom forever. What a future. So what are we whining about? What are we afraid of? This is the king. He is our king. Because he has chosen to be our king. And so today as we go to the Lord's table, I want to celebrate the kingship of Christ. I want to, I want to come before the throne and say thank you for this redemptive plan. Thank you for your reign. Thank you for your eternality. Thank you for your exclusivity. Because I can trust you with all of my stuff. So I'd like to ask the people who are going to be manning the tables to come forward and we'll get ready to celebrate the Lord's Supper together.